There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. On Christmas Eve, I got a surprise phone call from Paul Whelan calling from prison. Just days away from being incarcerated wrongfully in Russia for five years, Paul Whelan has a special message for President Biden. Mr. President, you promised to bring me home. I'm still here. We hear more of that conversation with Paul Whelan. Plus, we hear from the man who's trying to negotiate his release. Uh, I talk to Paul frequently. Um, uh, he either calls me or he calls my uh, case officer, Fletcher Schoen. We catch, him, uh, catch up like once every week or two. And we've told them repeatedly that, look, you know, uh, there's there's absolutely no intent to leave Paul behind. His name is Ambassador Roger D. Carstens. He's the special envoy for the U.S. for hostage affairs. Coming up on this episode from WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On Christmas Eve, the phone rang at 5.58 a.m. The call rolled to voicemail. The voice on the message was very familiar, even though I had never spoken to this person before. Hello, my name is Paul Whelan. I'm a U.S. citizen being held hostage by the Russian government. Um, I'd like to speak to you about that. Hearing the message, my heart dropped because I realized how difficult it must be to get a phone from a prison in Russia and to be able to make a call to the States and most of all to make a call to someone like me, a complete stranger. So I waited and hoped and another call came through. Several others did as well. And here's some of that conversation to give you the context of what it was that was on Paul Whelan's mind and what we spoke about that day. At this point, the five-year mark, I'm extremely concerned about being left behind a third time. The Russians are adamant that they only want to do one-for-one exchanges. And as you know, there are two of us here, Evan and myself, I'm concerned that the Biden administration will work out a deal for Evan to be returned home, leaving me here a third time and um, you know, significantly limiting the options they have for my future release. When they made the decision in D.C. to trade Victor Boot, they basically abandoned me here. They left themselves without any options for bargaining. And since then, they've been making offers to the Russians, but they're not for things the Russians have asked for. Um, For 18 months, the Russians have been asking for an assassin who's in German prison, um, in a foreign exchange. The Germans don't want to give that person up. And so there's a bit of a deadlock. What I don't understand is why the Russians and Germans don't deal with that issue separately between themselves, and why they uh, think it's appropriate to ask 
the Germans to give up a murder and um, send a tourist who's obviously innocent home in his place. There was yeah. no espionage. I'm not yeah. a brigadier general, nor a secret agent from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, as the Russians uh, amateurishly allege. Um, I think at this point everybody knows I'm a tourist. So it's it's incredible that the Russians would ask for an assassin um, serving a life sentence for murder in exchange for a tourist. The yeah. uh, House and Senate have been quite supportive. Uh, my four consulates are quite supportive. The ambassadors come to visit me here. And I know that Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken care and, and are engaged. Now, let me just say that uh, the House and Senate have been quite supportive. Uh, the four consulates are quite supportive. The ambassadors come here to the middle of nowhere to visit me. And I know that Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken care and are engaged. Um, you know, the concern that I have is that diplomatic efforts have failed and not enough is being done to secure my release from the very top. Yeah. So then my, question, my question is, uh, what's, what's your message then from to the top, to President Biden? Because that's essentially where it is, President Biden and his team. Am I correct? Right. Yeah, he's he's the guy that made the decision to leave me behind twice. He's the man that can bring me home. Um, my message to him is, is quite simply, um, you know, I've been told that everyone is doing all they can, that my release is a top priority, uh, promises have been made, and I need everyone who has made those promises to now man up and honor them. And um, so, President Biden, if you were talking to him on this call, what would you say? I'd say, Mr. President, you promised to bring me home. I'm still here. There has to be more that you can do to secure my release. You've got to take the fight to them. As Lord Nelson said, engage the enemy more closely. Have the Russians, are the Russians willing to deal in good faith, do you think, just based on the way that your case happened they 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 arrested you detained you and it was wrongful do you think they're willing to deal with president biden in good faith or what's happening there well three days after i was arrested they asked for marina butina uh, victor boot and konstantin yurchenka they repeated those requests several times while i was in custody and uh, president trump refused to um, to trade me or trade them. Um, once President Biden took over, the same requests were made. But uh, then, you know, we had Trevor in the mix also. Um, then Brittany became involved, and the Russians decided, well, we'll work out deals, you know, with these two lower-level cases, and we'll ask for more for uh, Paul. Um, they continually asked for more, you know, changing the goalposts the entire time. Now they they want an assassin for me. Um, It's ridiculous that we've gotten to this point. Uh, In hostage situations, the longer they are allowed to go on, the more complicated and harder it is for them to be resolved. Yeah. Um, Let me just ask you, um, I saw your BBC interview and I read about it, and... um, I know that you 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 do this kind of thing at your own risk, at great risk as well. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about you 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 talked about watching your life drain away? Tell me about that. 
Well, this is an incredibly diminishing experience. I mean, body, mind, soul. Um, I'm almost 54 years old, and I'm you know forced to work in a basically a slave labor camp. Um, the food's horrible. The conditions are horrible. Uh, you know, even the showers here don't work, and you know, showers are, are few and far between. Um, there's only cold water provided. It's it's a it's a labor camp akin to the um, German concentration camps. I mean, it's designed on that model. There are no guards in the barracks or in the factory. There are prisoners that are put in charge by the administration, acting as capos, just like in the German concentration camps, keeping law and order. I, I mean, it's the place is a zoo. People carry knives. They use stimulants. There are fights. Um, it's it's not like our kinds of uh, correctional systems at all. It's not that sort of model. Uh, the Russians really don't care about our safety. They don't care about our health. And as I'm an older person, you know, the risk of heart attack, stroke, uh, any sort of industrial accident, uh, you know, makes me worry that I could be seriously injured. And there is no medical care here. There are people with serious diseases, HIV, uh, hepatitis, herpes, other things. They're untreated. And, you know, you're, you're susceptible to all sorts of illnesses, uh, contracting conditions that you've, you know, you never would have been um, susceptible to in your normal life. So it's, it's an extremely, um, you know, precarious position. And I've been here five years. So at this moment, do you feel safe? The biggest problem that I'm having is with the deputy warden. Um, you know, he has set up provocations to uh, try to have me injured in retaliation for him getting in trouble. Um, you know, he had two prisoners, one that works for him, asked me for $1,100 protection money, which I refused. And then he tried to transfer me to a dangerous barrack where um, you know, conflicts would have arisen and uh, anyone could have assaulted me quite easily in areas of the, uh, the barrack that have no cameras. That's a common tactic here. When the administration doesn't like someone, they will try to set them up. It's called a provocation and have them battered. They might not be injured very badly, but it's to intimidate and harass as well as injure. Um, you know, I've made complaints to everyone, including the media, and I want people to know what life is like here. I spent, you know, almost five years not saying anything, um, you know, protesting in private and um, praising in public. And I know there are a lot of people doing a lot of good things for me, and people are trying to get me out of here. But at this point, I feel that I've got to speak out and I've got to protest in public to make sure that people are actually paying attention and listening. The, you know, the news from Venezuela is great. The news from Israel is great. But as you, as you look at the past five years since my arrest, all sorts of things have come up that have gotten in the way of my case being handled. And, you know, next week it'll be something else. Unless my case is taken care of, unless people put some attention on my case, it'll just sit out here and fester. Yeah. So tell me um, about your 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 health, your condition right now physically. How do you feel physically? I'm quite depressed, as a matter of fact. I mean, it's Christmas time. I'm away from family. Um, you know, I've been here five years. I'm surrounded by criminals. Um, you know, it's not a healthy environment. I mean, these are not my people. Uh, it's it's a way of life that you know I am not accustomed to, and even though I've been at this camp for more than three years, it is it is just not for me. And you know that's that's the biggest problem. There really aren't people to talk to. There aren't people to really interact with. 
I have books and I write letters and I make phone calls. But it's, you know, it, it's, it's not the life that I used to live. And it's not the life that I want to live. That's a part of the conversation I had with Paul Whelan on Christmas Eve 2023. Now, to the conversation that I had January 10th with Roger D. Carstens, who's the Special Envoy for Hostage Affairs for the U.S., who's working to get Paul Whelan home. Um, uh, first off, let me say uh, that I'm glad that you're, you're following this case and that you've been following it so diligently. Uh, this was the first case that I took when I came to this job almost four years ago. So I came and I think in, uh, I want to say it was uh, probably the April-May time frame, this became the first case, new case that came into me instead of the legacy cases that I was already dealing with. Right. And uh, shortly thereafter, I took my first visit up to see Elizabeth Whalen up in Chappaquiddick. Uh, been to her house uh, twice, two or three times now, two, two times for sure. Uh, and uh, we, we've been pursuing it ever since. So I've been on the case too for quite some time, a lot longer than I thought or wanted to be on this case. Uh, but in terms of the question you've asked, uh, I've talked to Paul too. In fact, um, uh, I talk to Paul frequently. Um, uh, he either calls me or he calls my uh, case officer, Fletcher Schoen. We catch him uh, catch up like once every week or two. Um, we talk to his family pretty much daily. Uh, that's even Saturdays and Sundays. You know, we stay in pretty much constant contact with, uh, for sure, Elizabeth Whalen, but members of the family and Paul. And we've told them repeatedly that, look, you know, uh, there's uh, we don't want to get into the hypotheticals of the negotiation that's currently underway, but there's absolutely no intent to leave Paul behind. The goal is to come up with a deal that the Russians can can uh, accept that bring both Paul and Evan home at the same time. How do you respond then to Paul's statement that what he understands is that the Russians want to do a one for one and that at the same time, he says they keep moving the goalposts. He said in the, in the, in the, in the conversations that I have with him on Christmas Eve, that he knows the Russians want to do a one for one and that the U S is not offering the things that they want. So, um, how does that work? How does that strike you? So, you know, we, again, we talked to Paul and we're very upfront. We know that the uh, when we talked to Paul, that the Russians are listening in on that phone call. Uh, and yet we're pretty candid because we're, we're negotiating with the Russians. So what if they listen into the phone call? So we're, we're pretty uh, open with Paul on these calls. And we told him, I said, that right now, there is no uh, one for one deal. Um, uh, so what, what he's saying there, uh, he, you know, there are rumor mills that take place in Russia. I would say at times the Russians tried to. Uh, pass disinformation to uh, the prisoners. They did that with Brittany Griner. They did it with Trevor Reed. They certainly do it with Paul. Um, but right now, there's no uh, one-for-one deal. What we're, we are trying to do is work up a deal with the Russians for both Paul Whelan and Evan Gershkovitz. Um, and there, there is no peeling off right now. The Russians have not come back and said, oh, we, like, we don't like your offer, but we want to focus on a one-for-one. Now, I don't want to get too much into the details of negotiation because then we start to negotiate in public and by experience that never seems to go too well. But, uh, you know, there's no there's no secret. I think we've all uh, told journalists and, and Paul and others that a uh, significant offer was made to the Russians in uh, November of last year. Uh, the Russians uh, did not take that offer. Uh, we continue to try to engage the, the Russians to find out what it's going to take to get this deal done. Uh, but at the end of the day, what makes this so hard, it's not from a lack of movement, desire, or willingness, or effort on part on behalf of 
the president, the secretary of state, and the entire U.S. government, it comes down to the Russians having the key to the jail cell. Uh, and what I would tell you, and I, you know, I've told Paul this, it's, uh, you know, to my mind, Paul should should have never been arrested. And now that he's arrested, the Russians shouldn't make this hard because he's there uh, wrongfully. Uh, they should just let him go. We shouldn't have to bargain at all because Paul's held wrongfully. But if we do have to bargain, we would ask the Russians to show up and and give us a good faith effort and conduct a negotiation where we can uh, work together to close the gap between our two sides and just you know, bring Paul home. Ambassador, without getting into things you definitely can't talk about uh, in terms of the negotiations, the process and people involved, how are the Russians engaging with you? Uh, do they have a counterpart for you or how do they engage with you? Where, where, where do the, you know, Paul has mentioned a few times some of the things that they come up with, they've come up with, and you've mentioned as well, the disinformation that they push through um, the system. How do they engage with you, though? Who talks to you? Yeah, that, that might get into some of the details that we just don't want to put in public, um, the, the mechanism or the channels. Uh, and it's it's in a way, it's kind of tragic. I mean, it, it's interesting to me. It'd be interesting to you. It'd be interesting to your listeners. But there are certain things that when you start to get out in public, uh, it actually bothers the other side. You never want to take a chance that um, you were this close to knocking out a deal. But because certain things were said in public, the other side backed away a little bit. And so some of the specifics of the deal, we just can't get into, into as much as in a way it'd be interesting. And I'd like to. And then even some of the specifics of how the excuse me, how the channel works. Uh, I think in doing this job for four and a half years uh, or four years, rather, and uh, over the numerous negotiations we've had, uh, I would say almost every every side that we talk to, the other side would prefer that the actual mechanisms of the channel not be discussed or else it, pu it puts it at risk. So uh, please forgive me for uh, sure. you know, shying away from that question. Yeah, no, it's just the question that I have to ask as a journalist, and I appreciate your 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 oh, for sure, for sure. candid nature in, in engaging. This close to knocking out something, do you feel like you're this close to making this work and, and bringing Paul Whelan home and Evan Gershkovich home? So the, I'll use a, a horrible term that I learned when I came back to the government. Uh, it's a term that's, uh, that's, that's called cautiously optimistic. And why I hate that term is it does sound like it gives you too many outs, too many off ramps. Uh, but at the same time, that's kind of where I am. Uh, and I, I remember I made the mistake. I tell the story often. I, I made the mistake of telling a family member that we were really close to bringing their loved one home once. And that person is still in jail. And what I never tell people is that specific example is Paul Whalen. There was a time early on that I felt we were uh, we were in a back and forth. I thought we might get some sort of traction. And, you know, I was very enthusiastic with the family. And it just, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. The uh, On that specific case, you know, it's 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 never, it's it's really never us. The other side, as Paul said, they moved the goalposts and weren't able to pull it off. And so uh, I seldom get too specific anymore with the families. I say, I'm, I'm, I can say I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic. I will. I owe the families transparency. So if we're going nowhere, I tell them we're going nowhere. If we're actually failing, if the if the uh, deal that we're trying to work out with an uh, with an opposing side is actually going in the wrong direction, I'll just tell the families it's going in the wrong direction. So we try to be brutally honest with the families. But when good news is a coming, uh, as far as I will take it now, it's just to say I'm cautiously optimistic, sir. Um 
that is a great point to make because, you know, I can recall early on in Paul Whelan's situation hearing some chatter about the fact that he could be home in a couple of weeks. And he actually mentioned that in a phone call with me, reminded me that early on, you know, there was this situation where the Russians wanted Brittany, uh, they wanted Victor Boot, they wanted Maria Butina and um, Konstantin Yaroshenko. Um, yeah, yeah. But the administration at the time did not move on that, and that kind of closed the door. But it also opened up another opportunity for the Russians to change what they were doing. How do you how do you set yourself or prepare yourself to work with this particular situation? For instance, Americans keep getting arrested by the Russians. Yeah. You know, there was another person, you know, I do know that he's a dual citizen, and that's a kind of probably a different case. But how do you approach your work recognizing that this is something that the Russians may be doing as a process to collect, forgive me for using this term, um, collateral or people yep. that they can use as tools to negotiate with? It's it's a really good question. It's something we talk about pretty much all the time. Uh, I'll, I'll say this much. It's, it's interesting in that it, I'm glad you kind of went there. The numbers of my cases and wrongful detentions, people that are taken by nation states, actually, the numbers uh, kind of stalled. It might actually be going down. I actually have less cases now. Um, so you, you wonder if you if you trade someone uh, to get a deal done or you give some sort of what might be considered a concession to pull off a bargain that brings someone home. Um, the, the, I, I would say you, you come to the conclusion, perhaps using common sense, that that means that people are going to start taking more people. Uh, and that's not really proven to be the case. It's really strange. It's like you, you seal a deal and oftentimes, uh, you find that that country, the country in question does not go out and take more Americans, but you're also, you also might find, uh, the opposite to be true that if a country, if you're not able to pull off a deal and, and bring an American back, uh, Countries perhaps might take more Americans to increase their leverage. So you almost have to wonder, is it better to knock out a deal early and then put this to rest? Or if you hold, uh, will you find an interesting, creative way to solve the problem? Or does the country go out and say, OK, if one American's not enough, let's take one or two more and see if we can uh, uh, increase the pressure. Every case is different. Every country is different. Um, if there was a way to put a cookie cutter onto all this or we could do all the analysis, I think it would still be a tabula rasa anytime you show up and start a new case. Yet, even if another person, you, you mentioned uh, Woodland's taken in Russia, we'll have to get some more facts on that to determine whether he was wrongfully detained or not. Um, but if we were eventually to come to the conclusion that his case or another case, we have a new American that's added, we actually have to, to an extent, start with a blank slate. Uh, you know, we have some experience now in dealing with Russia. We are already in train. We're in motion in trying to bring Paul Whelan and Evan Gershkovitz back, but we would still have to take a look at this case uh, from the start, from the from a kind of a fresh look to see if there are other things that we can pop onto the table and perhaps leverage. Um, so this is uh, definitely, um, uh, I would say, a horrific uh, career in which uh, there is no cookie cutter, and I wish there was. It would be nice that if this happened, we went into uh, a certain uh, rhythm, a battle drill, a way of proceeding. Now we take a look at the cases in a certain way, but it's it's amazing to me how even in this in the same country we'll have to at times come up with different conclusions. Having said that, I'm going to go back to where we started. Uh, where we are right now 
with Paul and Evan is we are working to bring both of them back at the same time. Um, uh, and we are in negotiation with the other side. We have a back and forth going. And our intent is to just keep hammering away at this uh, until we get it done. I can tell you, we have, uh, as I said, we have a guy that's uh, uh, my case officer, Fletcher, talks to the family daily. I talk to the family often. Um, Elizabeth Whalen's in town. I'll see her tomorrow. Um, we've uh, had a chance to um, uh, schedule meetings with Elizabeth and the president, uh, the secretary of state, of course. Uh, this this administration's uh, engaged, and we all really want to get this done. Um, so I, I think if I would, leave, I know we're we're not done with the interview yet, but I, wa I want to make sure you know that our intent is to bring both of them on, and we have a full court press, and nothing's going to make me happier than to have Paul Wayland home, me drinking a beer with him at the Exchange Tavern right outside the White House, and then putting this case in my rearview mirror, and then and then calling Elizabeth Wayland only because. Uh, I want to wish her a, a Merry Christmas as opposed to having to talk about her brother's case. That's our goal. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. It's a, it's a labor camp akin to the um, German concentration camps. I mean, it's designed on that model. The Russians really don't care about our safety. They don't care about our health. Paul Whelan talks about the prison. And Karstens shares more about the situation. Uh, we're very firm that we expect the Russians to, uh, you know, protect the uh, the Americans that are being held in, in, under their charge. Um, this is a very serious uh, situation, and you know we're not going to tolerate people being mistreated. It's bad enough that they're arrested and held wrongfully. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.